But a leader is always looking at strategic things. A leader is always trying to take the, the business from where it is today to somewhere different. They have a vision uh, and they communicate that vision. And whether this is for a department or, or a, a, a team or for the whole company, they have a vision for, for change. And they say, look, we've done really well. We've got here today. But in a year's time, I want us to be somewhere different. We're going to be in new markets, doing new things with maybe fewer resources. We're going to find smarter ways. And I need your help to get there. Welcome to the Supermanagers Podcast, where we interview leaders from all walks of life to tease out the habits, thought patterns, learnings, and experiences that help them be extraordinary at the fine craft of management. Our goal is to bring you the lessons and the insights so that you don't have to learn through your own mistakes, but so that you can shortcut your way to being a great leader. This podcast is brought to you by Fellow, a software platform that helps managers and their teams collaborate on meeting agendas, track action items, and turn chaotic meetings into productive work sessions. Check it out at www.fellow.app. Hey, fellow managers and leaders, I'm Eden, and I'm the CEO of fellow.app. Today's guest is Paul Sloan. He's a leading innovation consultant, and he has written over 20 books that's right, two zero twenty books, including the book The Innovative Leader. Uh, today we talk about a bunch of different things, but one of the topics we really focus on is this concept of an open-minded leader and how open-mindedness can break thinking patterns, it can help you become more innovative, open to more ideas, and really just propel your organization to be able to adapt to change. The other thing that we talk about is this concept of thinking laterally. A lot of people, when they think, they think vertically, and Paul really explores this concept of lateral thinking and how that can actually help us in a very, very rapidly changing world. We also talk about brainstorming sessions and how to really make the most of them within your teams. We also talk about the difference between managers and leaders and how transformative thinking uh, can really help you with problem solving. If you found this episode helpful to your leadership journey, send me a note on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at Aiden. I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, of course, you can also tag the podcast, hashtag supermanagers. And don't forget, if you want to join our exclusive community, we've created this Slack group where we talk about uh, the content of the episodes. We hear your suggestions on who else we should bring to the show. And in general, hang out with other really cool super managers. Just send us a note to supermanagers at fellow.app. We look forward to having you join our community. And without further ado, here's Paul Sloan on episode 84 of the Supermanagers podcast. Paul, welcome to the show. Hi, Aiden. It's really nice to have you. Where are you dialing in from today? Uh, Camberley in England, near London. Cool. That's awesome. Well, it's uh, it's very, very good to have you on, on the show. There's a lot of stuff that, that we want to talk to you about today. Uh, I know that you've had a pretty extensive leadership career. You've been the CEO of Monactive. You've been a leader at MathSoft. And you're an innovation consultant. And obviously, you've written over 20 books. And today, we're going to talk a lot about the innovative leader, amongst other other things that you've written. But before we get into all of that, I just wanted to kick things off and ask you, do you remember when you first started managing 
and leading teams and what some of the early mistakes would have been that you, you made back in those early days? So I went through sales training with IBM and then I got promoted to marketing manager with IBM and I went through IBM management training, which was very good. And then I got headhunted to join a, a database company called Ashton Tate. Uh, this is way back in the PC days. Uh, and we were selling uh, uh, database software, DBase2 and framework and things. And I came in as UK marketing director to a pretty chaotic setup. And I brought a lot of IBM disciplines there or so I thought. Uh, and I was organizing the marketing department, running all the programs. And one day, the managing director, Carrie Hobbs, who was a very wonderful uh, managing director, a wonderful mentor for me, he put me on one side and he said, Paul, he said, he said you're too tough on your people. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you tell them what to do all the time. And I said, isn't that my job? <laughs> and he said, no, you, you got to let them make some of their own decisions and make some mistakes. And it was an epiphany for me. It was a sort of road to Damascus moment that I was far too tough on them and authoritative uh, because I was experienced uh, relatively and, and I thought I knew better than them. Uh, and I was telling them what to do all the time. And that's not a great way to lead a team. Um, and I hope that over a period after that, I mellowed and I stood back a little and I gave people more freedom to succeed. And when you give people freedom to succeed, you have to give them freedom to fail as well. So um, if somebody comes to you with a challenge, uh, rather than saying, do it this way, my way, the, the lesson I learned was the thing to say is, well, what options have you considered? What are we trying to achieve here? You ask some questions and you get them to think of various possibilities. You might gently suggest one or two possibilities, but if they then think it's their idea and they go away with it, they're much more likely to implement it well than if you give them your idea and tell them to get on with it. That's amazing. I think this is this is one of those lessons that hopefully many people end up learning. It's one of those almost necessary lessons for people to learn. I'm curious, was this like an overnight thing? You just you know, realize that and then the next day you were super manager or what happened? Oh, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know about that. But I, it certainly made me stop and think. Um, and I'll tell you another thing I learned, and, and it's this. When someone gives you some feedback or criticism, uh, the tendency is to be defensive and negative uh, and, and say, no, that's not true. I'm not like that. That's not. But uh, here's a piece of advice. When anybody says anything critical to you at any time, say this to yourself, there might be something in what they say. Uh, and just open your mind to the possibility that even though they're, they're not as clever as you and they're coming from a, 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 the wrong standpoint, they don't see all the things you think, they've still got an input which is useful to you and there's something valuable in their feedback. Uh, so whenever somebody criticizes take something from it. Yeah, no, this is uh, this is very true. I think it's it's always tough to process feedback and do all the considerations in, in one shot. So even if it's like a, um, almost like repeating, so what I'm hearing that you're saying is blah, and just like letting that sit. And then I almost need, almost, you know, sometimes I need a full week to really process what it was that, that was actually said. And then I may, may need to come back and ask some more questions and maybe do some more digging. It's, it's typically not a, an easy thing for me to on the spot. Let, let me, let me um, give you a terrific piece of advice that I was given, which all leaders and managers should take on board. This is so good. It's, I, I should charge you double for this. <laughs> and what you do is you take your people one at a time into your office or a quiet place, and you say, I want to ask you two questions. And whatever you say, I'm going to listen and, and just take, take it on board. And here's the first question. 
well, what do you think I'm good at? And they'll say, well, you're very good at communicating and you're good at uh, giving direction and you're great communicating the vision and you're always enthusiastic. And, the, and that's always nice, nice to hear that. And then the follow-up question is the key question. Uh, where do you think I could improve? And then you shut up and listen. And because they've given you the positive feedback, and because you're in a trusting, they're much more likely to give you something candid and that you get something really, well, to be honest, boss, sometimes, you know, you tell us to, you're too directive and sometimes you're not completely clear and sometimes you're too critical and they'll give you something which is really useful and you do it with each of them. And if several of them say the same thing, then boy, you should really take that on board. So, but the key thing is you, you the only thing you could say is you can't disagree with them. But if they say sometimes you're too critical, you could say, can you give me a for instance? And they'll say, you know, that time when Joan was late and you you made fun of her and you say, oh, yeah, I thought I thought that was it. And they say, well, actually, that that, that, that cut a little with Joan and you didn't realize it. Um, so uh, if you, you can say, uh, can you give me a for instance, give me an example. But, but otherwise, you cannot disagree with them at all. Otherwise, they'll clam up. I like what you said, which is hear what everybody says and then if there are some patterns then you definitely need to pay much more attention yeah well everything they say is 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 gold dust it's really valuable because a leadership journey is a journey of continuous improvement every leader can be a better leader yeah it's it's never ending it's one of those things that you never you never quite finish well the funny thing is you know, they did a study uh, as to what is the optimum length of tenure of a CEO? What's the optimum time for a CEO? And what they found was that if you set up a new CEO, that he comes in and he's, he or she is keen, enthusiastic, open-minded, they listen, uh, they're not experienced. So, so they don't, they're not making all the right decisions. They don't know what, 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 the strengths and weaknesses of all their people. So in, in they're not that effective to start with. Then they gradually become more and more effective. They learn more, they learn more. And then after a period, they peak. And they start, they think, they know it all. They become complacent. They stop asking questions because they've been there before. They've solved that problem. Do it my way. And they found the optimum length of tenure for a CEO was 4.8 years. Less than four, between four and five years is about ideal because all that initial enthusiasm and open-mindedness gradually is replaced by complacency and, and arrogance to, to exaggerate it a little. You know, you use the word open-minded, and so I wanted to dig in um, a bit more on that. You have an awesome TEDx talk uh, about embracing open-mindedness. Why don't we start with saying, like, how do you know if you're open-minded? Because I, I feel like if you ask a lot of people, they'll say that they're open-minded. Do you, would they be right, or are people good at classifying themselves that way? You know, everyone thinks they're a good driver and everyone thinks they're good at sex and everyone thinks they're open-minded. You never meet anyone who'd say, no, I'm quite close-minded. But uh, in fact, there's a lot of evidence that we have unconscious biases, uh, confirmation bias, availability bias, all sorts of bias. And, and one question, if, if I says, are you open-minded? They say, yes, I am. I, one question I would ask is, tell me a major issue that you've changed your mind on in the last couple of years. Tell me anything where you have received ideas and changed your position uh, on any major issue at all. Uh, and, and very often they'll struggle to think of anything. And, and if you look at the discourse, the public discourse in America between Republicans and, and Democrats, it is very divisive, very bitter, very entrenched like this. You're, it's what De Bono calls, I am right, you are wrong thinking. All right, so I'm right and you're wrong. Uh, and, and 
there's very little compromise, very little middle ground. Uh, and we need middle ground in politics and in life and in management uh, and in our social discourse. We need to find common ground instead of shouting at each other. Social media, which should encourage more open-mindedness, it should encourage you to listen to more views, has actually had the opposite effect. And people go into their, their, their little bubble where they listen to similar views or more extreme views that feed them. You know, the conspiracy theorists and all the rest of it, they, they just go to the same sites and they hear more of the same stuff and they're not prepared to listen to opposing viewpoints. And we should be open-minded and listen to opposing viewpoints. Um, and a good way to do this is, is to read the newspaper that's on the opposite side of the spectrum from you. If you normally read a very, very conservative newspaper or go to this, try something very liberal. You know, if you normally watch Fox News, try CNN or vice versa, just deliberately uh, go to different places, meet different people. Uh, you know, they say we're the sum of the six people that we spend most time with. And, and we tend to spend time with people who are like us. Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. So one of the and tying this back to the the CEO comment of, you know, somewhere between four and five years is, is the ideal time. Uh, this is probably like something that leaders everywhere should probably keep in mind, right? If someone has been doing the same role for a very long time and they're wondering why maybe there isn't as as much innovation in, in the workplace. Yeah. So um, diversity uh, uh, and bringing in new blood is, is really helpful for innovation. So you, you should value experience, but you should move people around, give them new challenges. So as a leader, your job is to challenge your people um, and, and you can typically you can find a new challenge for most people, even really good experienced people who be doing the same thing over and again. Say, I want you to mentor this this young guy. I want you to bring him on. I want you to find a new way for the department to do such and such a task. Uh, and I'm sure you can come up with some really creative ways to do that. But I want you to look at how we're doing it. How do they do it in Japan? How do they do it in Malaysia? I want you to look outside and bring back some really different ideas for how we can tackle this. We, you know, we can't get the lead times down. We need to be smarter. Uh, and I want you to try and find ideas out. So, so throw a challenge to people and keep keep giving them fresh challenges to, to, to stop them getting stale. And you know, one other point that I wanted to make related back to the open-mindedness concept is there's this uh, there's this great phrase which is "be stubborn on the vision but flexible." on the details. Um, there are like, I, I get the sense that from an open-mindedness perspective, people are probably have different levels of open-mindedness about different things. There probably isn't like a truly open-minded person across the board, I would think. Well, if you were totally open-minded, you'd never do anything because you'd still be waiting for other opinion, I guess. But um, nonetheless, you have to fight the tendency to be so sure of yourself, so certain that you're right that you ignore criticism and you ignore feedback and you charge ahead. Uh, and sometimes uh, to be a great leader, you have to be humble and you have to listen. Hey there, just a quick note before we move on to the next part. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably already doing one-on-one -on -one meetings. But here's the thing. We all know that one-on-one -on -one meetings are the most powerful, but at the same time, the most misunderstood concept and practice in management. That's why we've spent over a year compiling the best information, the best expert advice, 
into this beautifully designed 90 plus page ebook. Now don't worry, it's not single spaced font, you know, lots of text. There's a lot of pictures. It's nice, easily consumable information. We spent so much time building it. And the great news is that it's completely free. So head on over to fellow.app slash blog to download the definitive guide on one-on-ones. It's there for you. We hope you enjoy it and let us know what you think. And with that said, let's go back to the interview. So you also have this really great analogy, uh, which is leaders need to be both arsonists and firefighters. I mean, I, I love the, the phrasing around that. would love for you to elaborate on what you mean by that. Well, what I mean by that, I'm talking about leaders of innovation. So if you want, if you want your company to be creative and dynamic and agile, then what you do is you go around lighting fires under people and you say, look, you're doing a great job here, but I want you to find a different way to do it. We need to find a new way to reach customers. The challenge for you is to try some experiments and, and do new things. I mean, well, this is working fine, but, but if we're going to grow the way we want, you, we need to find new ways. So I'm, I'm challenging you to find new ways. And, and you say to someone else, I want you to experiment with some prototypes. Try these different things. See if the customers like them. Bring me some feedback. And people develop their own ideas and off they go. And then you say, how's that going? And they say, well, this one, is, I, re- I think the technology is really cool, but you know the customers don't like it. And you say, well, stop. All right, let's strangle that. Move on to something. But just, um, it's really cool. I'm really enjoying it. I really put all this effort in. No. And yet sometimes you have to start a fire and then you have to put it out. So there isn't time to develop everything. There isn't time. Uh, you, you know, this. The, you, you start 100 fires and you put 90 of them out. Uh, and then they, it's only the good ones that survive. And, and it's what Eric Ries uh, uh, talks about in his book, The Lean Startup, where he talks about a minimum viable product. And the minimum, you go out with a minimum viable product, which is the smallest, crappiest version that you can show to customers to prove, as proof of concept. And when you show it to customers, you get all sorts of really valuable feedback. They say, well, we like this and we like, but this doesn't work. And this is completely wrong. And, and then you go back and you do something else. So you don't develop the whole product in secret you know, with innovation. You don't do the whole thing and then launch it, which is what they did with something like the Segway, for instance. And then it, it, it didn't meet expectations. Lots of other products similarly, uh, the Amazon Fire, all these things. So what you should do is take something to, to, to customers and, and choose the right customers, the intelligent ones, the ones who are ahead of the game, and say, look, this is one of our ideas. What do you think? And, and if they say no, if, if typically there's three reasons why you should kill a prototype. A, the customer doesn't like it. Or B, we can't crack the technology. Or C, there's no way we're going to make money with this. If, I, if any of those, then that's a strong reason to kill it. So are you being a firefighter to your own, like the fires that you're starting or just being a firefighter in general? for? <laughs> well, you should be a firefighter for your own as well. Yeah. There's some initiatives. I mean, you should look at the things that are on your project list and say, uh, which of these are of high value and likely to succeed and which should I kill? Maybe I'm spending time on things which aren't very productive and, and aren't valuable. And we're all guilty of that. I'm, t- I'm, as, I'm really as guilty of that as anyone. If I look at my activity and say, how much of it was really valuable and how, was a really return investment, it's, you know... It, it, maybe 30% of my efforts or 40%, but I'm certainly spending time on things that I should have ditched, but I just like doing them or I've invested so much time in them or it's a vanity project. You know, we've all got to be uh, critical and prune 
and focus and focus on what works. And that doesn't mean you don't keep trying new things. But as you try new things, you discard the ones that aren't really successful. Yeah, this is a super important one. I, I think like the, the challenge is, and maybe some of this is related to, you know, being there too long, doing the same things for, for a long time. It's you, you start these processes, these habits that maybe made sense at some point, but you've never really spent the time to say, do they still make sense? Are they still optimal? Are they still the best way that we should use our time? That's right. Another concept that you also talk a lot about is the concept of lateral thinking. And if we were to just maybe start by defining what you mean by lateral thinking and why it's useful, uh, I, I think that would be a good place to start. Well, lateral thinking is a phrase coined by Edward de Bono in contrast to conventional thinking. And in conventional thinking, we go ahead in a straightforward way, very logically, we build block on block on block. Uh, in in a standard fashion. And uh, lateral thinking means coming at the problem from the side, coming from an entirely different direction. Uh, so rather than doing the same thing, uh, you, you, you try something completely different and maybe a little bit wacky, a little bit crazy, uh, what people sometimes call out of the box. Um, so instead of being constrained by the current assumptions, you challenge those and, and you look for entirely new ways to do things. And it's really a form of creativity, um, and I've developed a set of tools and methods based on some de Bono work and other work, uh, which help organizations to employ lateral thinking to be more agile, more creative, and more innovative. And so maybe, is there an example of, you know, maybe a situation where we could talk about what normal thinking seems or feels like, and then what a lateral thinking approach might look like? So in the mid-1970s, there was a young film director, movie director called Steven Spielberg. And he was given a commission by a studio to produce a film called with a, the tentative title of Jaws. And it featured a huge mechanical shark. And they built this shark and the, the thing didn't work. Um, and they had all sorts of problems with it, making it work and, and all of the mechanics with it. So they didn't have computer graphics in those days. Uh, and that was the problem. And he was running behind schedule and, and, and way over budget. And, and the studio was coming down in very hard. Now, the conventional approach would be let's fix the shark. Let's bring in more technicians. Let's really spend a lot of money to get this shark working. But he took a lateral approach. He said, let's eliminate the shark. Let's imply the shark with music. And he used John Williams' theme, the do, 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 <laughs> to imply a shark. And when they tested the rushes with, with audiences, they found it, that, that imagining what was beneath the water was much more frightening than actually seeing it. And, and so with a person swimming along the top, you'd hear the music and you'd think, oh, no, there's something underneath. What's going to happen to her? Um, and, and, and the lateral approaches don't fix the shark, imply it with, with, with music. And that's just an example. I like of, of lateral thinking in action. That's awesome. And so I guess like the, and, you know, just thinking about a framework that you could use. So there's a problem that, that you can't solve and then maybe stating what the conventional approach might be. Yes. And then afterwards thinking about like arriving at the solution in an unconventional way. There's all sorts of ways to do it. Yes. So, I mean, if you were working for 
Encyclopedia Britannica in the 1990s, uh, and you said, uh, you know, what's the future of encyclopedias? Uh, people would say, well, uh, they might be a little bit smaller uh, uh, and uh, maybe a little bit cheaper, but we still need a lot of experts and editors, and we still need printed encyclopedias. Um, and if somebody has stood up and said, just a minute, maybe it's a completely different approach. Maybe we could have a free encyclopedia done by volunteers with no paid experts at all. Yeah, that would have ended your career, that, that idea, probably. You would, you would have been laughed out of the meeting uh, and ridiculed and, and, and so on. But that's what Wikipedia was. It was a completely lateral solution to the same problem. Um, so for years, we'd had printed encyclopedias, very, very expert, very high quality. And then come, along comes something whose quality is, at times, not proven, but generally is worked out pretty well and it's just swept the market yeah so th this makes a, a lot of sense and certainly there's a lot of examples in history uh in terms of how you can maybe encourage that type of thinking across the organization uh would love to know your your thoughts and ideas around getting that idea generation getting like great brainstorming meetings like w what are some best practices well there are all sorts of ways of doing it and i use a variety of tools and methods most of which are explained in my books and then i also have online courses on these advanced brainstorm techniques um but one way is a thing called what if where everyone has to write down a crazy what if statement uh, what if everyone had two brains what if there were 48 hours in the day what if we only had one customer what if we had a million customers and and you you you, you write down crazy thing and then you just see where it leads and sometimes you know what if we didn't have uh, experts paid experts on, on our encyclopedias you know well, we'd have to use volunteers. How would that work? And, and they edit it over the web. And, and so starting with a what if, where you just challenge all of the assumptions. So, so every situation, we bring assumptions to bear. Uh, and, and there's a current model. And then most brainstorms, we're trying to tinker with the current model and expand it. But, you know, if you were running a taxi company, you couldn't develop that into Uber. You have to start again and rechange all your thinking to come up with Uber. And if you're running a conventional hotel chain, you couldn't conceive of Airbnb by just extending the current method. You have to start with a what if. What if instead of building hotels, we harnessed all of the rooms that people are prepared to sell around the country? What a crazy idea. And then off you go. And that's why most really creative ideas come from startups rather than established companies, because they're so wedded to their assumptions and their framework and and the vertical thinking that they can't do the lateral thinking to conceive of an entirely different approach. In your experience, are people generally able to succeed at those sorts of um, brainstorming sessions or is it very often you get disrupted from the outside? Like, have you seen organizations that actually do a really good job of this, of this type of idea generation? generation? Yes. So I do a lot of that and they bring me in as an external expert and, and I an external facilitator. It's very hard for a manager to do it with his own team because the manager has uh, his or her own mindset and persona and style. And it's very difficult for them to step out of that and become a brainstorm facilitator because a brainstorm facilitator, their job is to encourage ideas, no matter how crazy, to avoid criticism, and, and initially, at least, to, to use divergent thinking to create a lot of ideas and then to use convergent thinking to, to find the best ideas. And there's a structure and there's a good way to run a brainstorm. But most brainstorms are ruined by <coughs> early criticism 
Well, that idea wouldn't work. We can't afford that. Uh, the customers would never go for it. All of these things kill off earlier ideas very, very quickly. And it's the crazy ideas that lead to the good ideas. And therefore, you've got to let them run for a little bit um, uh, to see how, how, where they develop and, and, and let people uh, develop them and, and kick them around. And eventually, you might get something useful. So having an external facilitator makes a lot of sense. And you're right that sometimes you have to start with a crazy idea. Most ideas, a lot of great ideas start by being very bad ideas, but you actually need people to build on top of them. And so there's, a, and I've definitely heard, you know, people talk about this during brainstorming sessions, which is the the yes and so that people can end up building on top of everything else. Uh, but what do you think about, you know, post idea generation kind of meeting or session? You probably don't want to like converge on an idea, like all in the same session. It probably benefits from, from having some time in between. You could do, but the, when I run them, <coughs> typically we use the same group to do both the uh, divergent thinking and then the convergent thinking. And we select the best ideas using some broad criteria so we'll set some criteria. We're looking for ideas which are novel, attractive, and feasible. And then you go through a novel in order to retain the, the, the new ideas and the more creative ideas. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. And so one of the so once you have these uh, these these concepts put into place, uh, then obviously the idea is that you're you're gonna you're gonna put some of these into place and then iterate on them. And over the course of time, uh, they get better. Do you have maybe an example of how you would think about implementing some of these new processes or like how you can encourage organizations in general uh, to implement new processes? Well, there's a method called transformers that I use where you, you take a, a choice of verbs and you, you draw a block diagram of the current process and then you, you apply verbs to it and the verb might be subtract, it might be eliminate, it might be divide, it might be compress. There's a whole 50 different verbs. And then you, you apply it to different parts of the, the process and you come up with a whole bunch of ideas. This is for service or process improvements and innovations and it works really well. Um, and, and basically, once you've chosen the, the best ideas, then you give, assign actions to people. Joan, I want you to develop a model for this uh, and, and bring it back to us in a week. Jim, I want you to prepare a spreadsheet showing the costs and, and how they turn the plan. Uh, Mary, I want you to check with legal what would be involved in this and what disclaimers we would need to, in order to try this. Uh, Fred, I want you to go and check with some customers, uh, these three or four, to, to, to test this idea. So, And most managers are good at things that go on to-do lists. Once it's on your to-do list, uh, then, then it can, tends to get followed up. Um, and that's how innovation happens. You take great ideas, a lot of ideas, you select the best ones, you turn them into actions immediately. And, and this is you're not saying we're definitely going to do this, we're going to change the whole company. What you're saying is we're going to try it, we're going to see where it goes, we're going to develop it to the next stage. And you give those actions to different people, and then you, you follow up in a week or a month, and you see where they are. And then people believe in the brainstorm. If you have a whole bunch of brainstorm ideas, you get 100 ideas, and the manager says, I'll look at those later. And then he or she is totally involved in other things, doesn't look at them, nothing happens. People become cynical. What's the point of the brainstorm meeting? Not everything changes around here. Nobody listens to our ideas anyway. And um, so it's very important if you have a brainstorm that you do it properly and that you implement some ideas. Uh, because even if they're little tiny things, people say, all right, 
at least he or she is listening to us and ch- prepared to change things. And do you think that people should wait until there's like a problem that needs a creative approach to start implementing some of these practices? No, the problem is that the world is changing so fast. Uh, and if you, you can't wait for the, the, the truck to arrive before you, you get on it. You, you've got to start running um, right now because everything's changed. You've got to innovate or die. Uh, basically, if you don't innovate, someone else will. You know, with innovation, you're either the diner or you're the dinner. Somebody's going to eat your lunch. This guy is sitting in um, Malaysia right now, or Philippines, or Vietnam, or Ukraine, who wants to run your podcast better than you, Aiden, and he's got much better ideas for how to do it. And he wants he wants to eat your lunch. So uh, you've got to improve. You've got to change. You've got to find new guests. You've got to find new formats. You've got to try different things. Uh, we'll try it on YouTube. Maybe we'll, we'll try it on Instagram. We'll try it on TikTok. We're going to keep trying new things. And, and everyone has to do this because uh, otherwise you're going to be left behind. Yeah, I like that approach. And uh, bring it on, I say, to that person trying to compete. But uh, but yeah, separately from that, what I wanted to, to say is that it's, it's almost like you have to constantly be asking, like, how can we disrupt ourselves? Um, and if we don't... Yes, um, and how if can we, we disrupt ourselves is a good question. Yeah, and it almost seems like I mean this is this is great material for uh, I would say any sort of offsite uh, you know and it doesn't have to just be with leaders but this is the sort of thing that should probably be programmed into the culture uh, and there's various forms of this you know for example we uh, at fellow we have this thing where we run hackathons like multiple times a year and uh, just something that is you can actually program this into the culture. Uh, so it doesn't have to be uh, a thing that you know happens some of the time. You can actually program these sorts of events uh, so that it can happen on a recurring basis. There's a method I use called um, "Who Killed Our Business," and <laughs> what you do is um, everyone divides into you divide it into small teams of four or five people, and then uh, the, the challenge is uh, you've been fired by the company, but you've been hired by. Um, uh, a venture capital company and they've given you a large amount of money to create a competitor which is going to kill a bit your business the existing business and you get it's going to kill it by doing things not just not by spending more money on advertising but by finding a smarter better way to reach customers and meet their needs what's the fundamental thing we do for customers you're going to find an entirely different way to do it so it's like uh a wikipedia and uh encyclopedia britannica it's like uber and a taxi company it's like airbnb and marriott hotels so what are you going to do? Uh, so you send them away and they come back and they, they pitch and they say, well, we do it this way. We'd change the distribution model entirely. We'd go direct to customers. We'd bypass the channel. We'd do, all right, who are, we've got a completely different approach where we would uh, get rid of this and focus on this. So everyone has to reimagine a completely new company which would kill the existing company through uh, lateral thinking through new approaches. That sounds like fun. That is, uh, yeah, I think that, that that's a super fun fun activity and probably something that everybody here should try. One thing that I wanted to also ask you about is a lot of people have fun kind of telling the difference between these two. But in your view, what is the difference between a manager and a leader? So, uh, yeah, it's quite clear, I think. A manager works in the business and a leader works on the business. So a leader always takes an organization from where it is today to somewhere different. If what you're current doing is currently is making the current operation work well, looking after customers, uh, trying to make systems work well, looking after people, solving all their problems, you're a manager. 
That's fine. And we need managers. But a leader is always looking at strategic things. A leader is always trying to take the, the business from where it is today to somewhere different. They have a vision uh, and they communicate that vision. And whether this is for a department or, or a, a, a team or for the whole company, they have a vision for, for change. And they say, look, we've done really well. We've got here today. But in a year's time, I want us to be somewhere different. We're going to be in new markets, doing new things with maybe fewer resources. We're going to find smarter way, and I need your help to get there. So they challenge that. They throw down a challenge. But a leader um, takes the, the, his or her team on a journey uh, to a different place uh, in some way. And, and that is what leadership's all about. You know, I think this is a very interesting point because tying this back into what we started talking about and maybe one of the early mistakes that you made when you first started leading teams, which is, you know, telling people what they should do and how to do it. Uh, it seems like a leader's job is almost to have a have a bold enough vision on, on some areas or, or things that can be improved, uh, but then not coming in and actually solving and figuring out exactly how it is that you're going to achieve those things. And then really working with the team and making sure that they can come up with the novel approaches. Well, I prefer that approach. I think it's a better approach. But having said that, there are some leaders who are very directive and very authoritarian and have been highly effective. Um, and I'm not just thinking of, you know, Stalin or Erdogan or, or someone like that. I mean, yeah, uh, Steve Jobs was very directive, very, very tough. Uh, guy to work by very strong uh, views of his own, uh, very critical at times. So, so uh, although I would say that my preferred model is the servant leader, the humble leader, the leader who steps back and and and, and encourages people to to fulfil their potential. There are some other people who just direct and tell you what to do. Do you watch Succession? Uh, I do actually. It's quite good. Quite and good. Logan Roy is a leader. I mean, he's built a whole company, but he's he's an absolute. Uh, psychopath. <laughs> so there are different styles of leadership and it would be arrogant for us to say this is the only one that works. There are all sorts of different styles that work in different situations. Um, but I think they, if you want you, you to get the most out of your people and you've got good people, then uh, giving them freedom and space to, to succeed is, is the best approach, I think. Yeah. You know, it's very interesting when, when looking at it uh, in that light. We recently had a uh, Colin Breyer, who is former VP of, at Amazon on the show. And apparently Jeff Bezos had told him that if you want to be a good leader, uh, you should look to see who is similar to you and try and basically mimic some of their, some of their attributes. Don't try and be someone that you're not. So for yes. everybody out there that is going to be directive because they're going to try and be Steve Jobs, you're you know probably not the right person to copy for for the vast majority of people. Paul, this has been super super valuable. So many different lessons that that we've talked through. One of the questions that we like to ask all of our guests that come on the show is for all the managers and leaders constantly looking to get better at their craft. Are there any final trips, tips, tricks, or words of wisdom that you'd like to leave them with? Well, uh, yes, I would say read, read uh, leadership books. So my, my books, I would obviously recommend The Leader's Guide to Lateral Thinking Skills, The Innovative Leader, Think Like an Innovator, all my books. Read other books, uh, read uh, biographies of great people and, and constantly look to improve. Every day, try something new and, uh, and every day challenge your thinking and, and ask yourself this question. If I was starting again, if I was coming into this business fresh, 
well, you know, what questions would I ask? Uh, and ask those basic questions again. And the day you, you became leader, you asked a lot of basic, why do we do this? What's the purpose of this? Go back to that immigrant viewpoint. Uh, uh, in, uh, you're an insider now, but sometimes you have to act like an outsider and say, um, what can we change and how can we make things better? And how can I improve? And how can the organization improve? That's great advice and a great place to end it. Paul, thanks so much for doing this. It's been my pleasure, Aiden. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Supermanagers podcast. You can find the show notes and transcript at www.fellow.app/supermanagers. If you like the content, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you can get notified when we post the next episode. And please tell your friends and fellow managers about it. It'd be awesome if you could help us spread the word about the show. See you next time.